podcast from Drew and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. What is the essence of debate? Is it disagreement at the beginning? Is it discovering disagreement in the middle? Is it parting at the end in a mood of delightful disagreement that terms the experience a debate as opposed to an argument, a verbal joust, or bad-tempered exchange? I have to say I have at various times in my life enjoyed all of the above. Sometimes it's good to have a shouting match, letting the emotions run free, removing the boundaries to open expression and letting loose the dogs of disambiguation. But when it's something like politics in question, then the grey cells need to be warmed up, tactics have to come to the fore, and the guardians of graceful argumentation need to lead from the front. Democracy is a touchy subject. It means so much to so many people, and a lot of those meanings are rarely the same. Freedom of speech, right to vote, majority rule, right to protest, and yet I wonder how many of these pillars of democracy hold true these days. No, this is not a wander down the darkened pathways towards conspiracy city, though I doubt the term theory is rightfully respected when combined with its more ferocious and infamous phrasal partner. So we mostly disagree on the meaning of the word democracy, yet so many of us defend it. In this series of podcasts, Vladi and I, both who have studied politics, Vladi to a far greater degree, disagree on the meaning of the word democracy. We debate respectfully on its application, and in this episode we begin the journey of societal creation. Vladi has devised a list of priorities to build his state in a manner that represents his view not of democracy, but of how society should be. I, on the other hand, a socialist democrat, have my own ideas on how democracy should be. And so it goes. Uh, hi, Vlad. It's uh, it's good to have you back so soon. Hi, Zach. Also very happy to be here. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, good, good. As you just sort of suggested as well, the sun is out. Um, it, it, it's amazing, really, how much the, the sort of sunshine manages to lift the collective mood um, you know, of sort of communities, really. Um, but you, you must notice being from Colombia. Absolutely, yeah. Well, for me, this is um, nothing special to have a sunny day. <laughs> I mean, in Colombia, we have every day. You know, yeah. it's um, it's quite interesting because actually we are very happy when when we have some shadow and and it's maybe a bit rainy because that's not the the the, the normal case. Mm. But yeah, after being here for almost 15, 16 years, I'm also very happy when we have a sunny day with blue sky. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some of the pictures of when you sort of returned to to Colombia, and it just seems like uh, yeah, every day is simply a collection of parties, fun, entertainment. Yeah, I know that's not reflective necessarily of life in, in Colombia. I understand that it's extremely difficult, but uh, for, you know, when you go back to see people after such a long time, 
um, the celebrations seem so natural. People just so there's this there's a sort of a passion to have fun. It, it seems. Yeah, true. It's a beautiful country for sure. Mm, no. Um, I mean, and there are two sets of elections this year. So there's the parliamentary elections next week. Um, but then at the end of May, there are also uh, presidential elections. Um, is it always the case that they're so close together? Yeah, they are um, very close together. So we first have the, um, yeah, as you mentioned, for the parliament, for the Congress. And then the things that for the presidential elections, the political parties can use this election that we are having this um, coming weekend to let the people decide which candidate should be the candidate of the party. So they are doing some consultation as well. So it's actually mm-hmm. a very good mechanism that they, we have in Colombia that even the people can decide uh, who should be the, the um, candidate for the presidential elections in every single party. Uh, okay, so it's a bit like what the Americans call their primaries when they come to to choosing the representatives of their two parties. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, yeah, it's similar, but but here it's like everyone can take part of it, not only the members of the of the party. Ah, okay, oh, yeah, that is different. Um, interesting. Yeah, uh, and, and, and is there quite a bit of engagement? Sorry, is there a lot of engagement uh, in that process? Is it do people really want to to take uh, to sort of to play their roles in deciding who is the candidate? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's 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 very important. I mean, because. Um, from time to time, it's very easy. It's like you have just one political party and then you just have to decide one out of, I don't know, two or three. But um, that's also the case that you have not only one, it's like a three, four political parties. Uh, they um, decide to do uh, this consultation together. So then you have to decide between four different political parties, let's say, and then they they respect the, the election and then they only send one candidate to the presidential election. I see. OK. All right. I mean, because in some of my research, then the, the sort of the early favorite at the moment is uh, Gustavo Petro, who's the, who, who has um, yeah, who has an interesting history. So he was also the previous mayor of Bogota. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, he has a long parliamentary history. Um, uh, and b- OK, before that, in the 80s, I understand. <clears throat> excuse me. I understand that he um, uh, he, he fought as, as a guerrilla um and so therefore you know quite a lot of interesting background but then it's i mean there's no guarantee that he'll even go forward as a candidate is there under this system hey no he's also part of one of this a uh, consultation that's the so-called uh, pacto historico and mm. there are a uh, if i'm not wrong let me check a uh, one two three four four or five people are competing that but i've I do believe he's going to win this uh, consultation and then let's see what's going to happen then during the presidential election. Mm-hmm. So the guy is trying to to um, to win this election, I guess, for this uh, second or third time. Mm-hmm. And now for the first time, he really has a uh, good chances to win it. And that would be also like the first um, first time in Colombian history that someone from a left party would um, yeah build uh, uh, the um, the government. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, he came second, I, I believe, in 2018. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, and um, yeah, it looks as though he's, uh, yeah, he's ready. Um, I mean, some, looking at some of the issues in in, in Colombia at the moment, which um, appear to play a role I, I guess it's 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 quite easy to look at but I mean inequality continues to be um, a big issue um, yeah. the, the economy in particular um, the pandemic and the management of the pandemic um, and, and violence clearly still uh, you know is an important um, issue uh, in, in Colombia too so um, yeah I, I mean it, these are issues which you could practically say are, are important um you know in any country even in uh european countries it's not as though um we have and we've talked about this isn't it we we don't have equality here either um i think perhaps violence is a bit <clears throat> more um pronounced in colombia though isn't it yeah that's uh, absolutely exactly as you said we have a um, huge problem with the um, income inequality and also access to education to the health system and so on we improve it that's also true so the the concept for example in terms of violence is um, nothing compared to what we um, were experiencing or or facing in the 90s that we had Mm. this um, really we were dealing with all this uh, drug war and and so on now the situation is a bit better but um, far away from being a peaceful country true and in terms of um yeah the um, more economical challenge let's say there also a uh, yeah it's also the, the big question how do we want to develop as a society and and i can if we put it in very very easy words i could say that colombia has um was always very influenced by the by the US system where it really like okay let's try to give people the opportunity but at the end it's up to you so it's not the, the really a, a thing of the state to provide the people with a, a minimum of i don't know dignity and that's why you have this crazy inequality in Colombia so you have people in Colombia earning really quite a lot of money even more than than um, the average here in Europe but you also have people in Colombia like yes uh, living in the streets and asking for some coins mm. yeah I mean uh, unemployment is what 13.8 percent or as it was as of last year so um, that's uh, that's tricky because uh, first you have to de- to define unemployment you know mm. if you would see unemployment the same way we see it here in Europe the unemployment would be around 50 something percent oh wow. you know okay. but the thing is like in Colombia for example you have people that they are just um selling candies on the streets or yeah or in the um, public transportation mm. and they are counted as a employed people you know oh. they they are not really taking a look into the um, like for example here in germany you have the official numbers um that you get straight from the um like where you know okay how many people are now employed and paying taxes and that's very easy in mm. colombia they have to do um how do you call it, like a pulse like they, they ask the people on the street hey, hey what are you doing for a living and if they say yeah i'm i'm selling candies and i'm doing two dollars per day ah, okay then mm. you are employed okay, so everyone right. who's doing something and getting money for it 
is in Colombia for our um, for our government and is someone who is employed. Okay, all right. Yes, yeah, just clearly a, a very different approach, uh, an understanding of what we would say as uh, as employment. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, but then it's interesting that um, because I mean, Colombia has. A very close relations with, I mean, it's a partner of NATO as of 2017. It's also got um, uh, EU partnerships, common security and defense policy. Um, uh, the EU is also um, one of the largest uh, sort of trading partners with uh, with Colombia. It also acts as an investor. So there is the EU Colombia Trust Fund. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there are, you know, all of these different measures. Um, is the EU, however, seen as a potential positive influence on Colombian domestic affairs? Or is, or is the EU considered to be still something of a, a colonial third party which sees itself as being superior? Hmm. Tough, tough question. So I um... <clears throat> From a historical perspective, I would say Colombia really always was um, trying to have the best relationship to, to the U.S. and then to Europe. But they are letting very clear that the U.S. should be our partner number one in all possible stuff. Yeah, and that's why we are also receiving... Uh, quite a lot of money in military aid, in social aid, in yeah, quite a lot of things. Um, there are for sure some critical voices about this uh, relationship because uh, people say, okay, we are not really uh, winning here, we are not earning anything, and it would be better if we try to be a bit more independent and also like building strong and partnerships to to South America, to Central America and all the, the let's say our neighbor countries. And I would say in the society to answer your question a bit better that the Europe and the US are seen as something very good and something we really dream about to be at some point something similar to the let's say regular European country or to the to the US, and I guess the um, yeah when 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 people are um, I would say the regular Colombia when when they are growing up and they maybe don't have a um, lot of money they always dream about the when this day come that they can be in the United States for the first time, and if they have a bit a bit more money than to be in in Paris or in London, so I guess this is like the yeah, it's it's seen and perceived as a good thing. Not my opinion, but that's a, that that wasn't the question. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, I have to prepare myself for your opinion. Then, in that case, it's no, no, no. Far more argumentative. Um, okay, um, and all right. Generally speaking, then, um, because the so an interesting question just popped into my head. Um, because of the distance between Colombia and what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, is the war, from what you know, as um, as, as commonly highlighted in Colombia as it is here in, in Europe? Hmm. 
Yeah, difficult one. Well, the thing is that, as you know, we have um, elections in one week and then also end of May. So for sure now the, the, the focus of all the news are on on this subject. And, and that's also a good thing. Mm. And um, I would say since two or three days, it became really relevant because, um, you know, some um, very important officials from the U.S. were in Venezuela and yeah, trying to do some business again with the, with Maduro because of the one to stop um, yeah, buying oil from Russia. So they need other suppliers. So Venezuela was still last week like a common enemy for the U.S. and Colombia, and now the U.S. without asking or, or I don't know, like without consulting anything with Colombia, just um, went to Venezuela and they are trying now to do business again and so on. So at the end, we are also um, being affected, I don't know if in a positive or in a negative way, but for sure being affected by, by this war. I mean, nothing mm. compared to the people that are dying and are losing their families and so on. So for sure not the case. But uh, but we are facing some consequences because of it, because the, the government okay. now is like a, I would say a bit pissed off with the U.S. government that they were trying like to uh, isolate Venezuela for the past, I don't know, um, 40 years. And and that's done. That's a over the night. It's done uh, that the U.S. need oil and then they don't care about Colombia anymore. I mean, not that it's not a not about Colombia, but about this um, common policy that they were trying to run. Mm. Yeah, it's I mean, I, it's interesting for me because I, I mean, you know, we'd kind of look at the way different communities react to different situations around the world and. You know, the EU, even though I say the EU, European countries, um, even though they were quite um, aware uh, and in some cases even um, people got emotional about the wars in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan uh, and some of the consequences that followed. We didn't see the same level of engagement that we have seen here um, with the, the Ukraine war or with the war in Ukraine. Um, and this is why I, I was you know, it was interesting for me to see whether or not the distance that exists between Colombia or South America and Ukraine um, would have sort of relegated that story. Um, and so, but in fact, I mean, what's happened is it's highlighted um, a closer story, as in with regards to Venezuela, um, even though it is in some ways connected to the U.S. foreign policy with regards to Russia indirectly. So, um yeah, there's still a sort of localized element which is drawing Colombia into the story. Yeah, sure. And yeah, you also have these voices in, in um, I guess, not only in Colombia, all over the, the world that um, people are, yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but it's not that people are overreacting, but they are having a very different uh, reaction compared to other words that they I would say they were similar, like they were not the legal, they were not the, um, let's say, like accepted or or had the approbation from the from the um, United Nations and so on. And then was like, uh, okay, that's fine. So this is uh, for sure always a a moment that uh, all people like doing some colonialism studies and um, yeah, Eurocentric studies are using to to show how crazy double standards we have in our society 
I mean, in, in our world society, when you mm. see how people are reacting right now and and it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. People have uh, in mind, at least here in Europe, that uh, Europe is um, a peaceful country. And you know that isn't the case. It's like uh, the most violent criminal continent, I guess, in, in history. And this is just, uh, it's not a thing that, that, they, that we are proud or we are happy about it. This is just facts. You know, it's like a try to 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 read a a book about European history, and it's very difficult to find a chapter without a war inside. So it's not mm. really that it's happening something special here. And but yeah, I know for for this generation that that, that we belong, that could be like the first time. But it's also like the first time that you have it here. It's not that the first time that you are in war again, because uh, yeah. I don't want to start mentioning any special war, but you know all these uh, wars that that we were having in in the past maybe four or five decades. Also, Europeans were involved, so um, it's it's very difficult to 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 understand this arrogance without being misunderstood as something that is um, for Putin or something. Because I guess uh, war is always bad, and it's always a, uh, a thing we should um, do everything to avoid. To avoid, and, and it doesn't matter if it's here in Europe, in Africa, in the Middle East, in, in Latin America, in yeah, whatever. It's just a horrible thing. Mm. I mean, we do forget this quite simply put, uh, and it's it's interesting to be reminded of it as well, Vlad. Um, I mean, you're right. European history uh, is just awash with war, conflict, um, and yeah, for loss of a better word, uh, I, I suppose human rights violations. I mean, um, I mean, we, we tend to look back with a certain sense of romance at uh, the French Revolution, for example, um, but we kind of paint over the fact that it you know, it had some very brutal elements. Um, reading some of the history to the, 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 the development of Florence from something like the, the 10th century onwards uh, and the warring families and factions within Florence. I mean, we look at it as this wonderful place of learning because of the Renaissance. Um, but even during the Renaissance, you know, people were sort of dissecting uh, enemies. Um, there were battles and wars and, you know, with the Vatican and, you know, with other sort of uh, Genoa. Um, it was non-stop, um, but history doesn't teach us those elements anymore. We we only look to the learning, the development, the the enlightenment, the Renaissance. Um, but there's a lot there's a lot that you know happened or has happened in Europe um, that we really should try in some ways to to remember because um, you're <laughs> right, we, it's not as a, a wonderful and rosy a garden. Um, as we seem to paint it now. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely, and also the way we are we are reacting. It's mean like um, something is very clear that what's happening it's wrong from every single perspective. I mean, in the in the Ukraine, we should uh, do everything to stop this war, and at the same time, if everything what if what what I'm seeing in the in the news, this is like if, I don't know how to to understand it, like a. You are now, um, well, we are now like closing a lot of uh, companies in, in, in Russia and who is suffering then? I mean, how many people are now um, unemployed because of it? And, and are they all like uh, Putin fans? I, I don't think so. 
and the same thing with the with the it like like the all the sports discussion that the Russian sports uh, people are now banned from I don't know quite a lot of tournaments. Even the 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 football team um, should not participate in the next uh, World Cup. And and it's like uh, why? I mean that's a uh, what where's the point? And we also mm. have a similar situation in in the past, and I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I'm, I mean, let's say, let's say, if we remember, if we recall the situation in Iraq, it was very similar or even worse. Like they they don't even have a reason to 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 start this uh, invasion there. And and for sure you can uh, remember the the um, the pictures we get from from the news, the way they how many bombs they were. They just destroyed the country. They were not like trying to get there to control something. They just destroyed the country, right? And then yeah. we had here the World Cup in Germany 2006, and and England, US were there. Then we have the 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 World Cup uh, 2010 was uh, I guess in in South Africa, and it was the same. And nobody were were asking to to ban anything or to to do something. So uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what uh, what to do, and, and and I can. I was discussing it with a with a very close friend of mine last week, and I think these double standards, we shouldn't underestimate them because I can imagine that's that's the reason why a lot of problems that we are facing in the world are still unsolved, and not because they are impossible to solve. It's just because we don't care. And and I'm part of the problem. I'm not saying that that uh, I'm here the the guy who is uh, having just a uh, one standard, and um, and yeah, or also having a, another discussion with a with a with a good friend. He told me something very interesting, and and he told me, hey Vlad, look, better to have a double standard compared to have just one bad standard. And it was like, okay, fair enough, but uh, <laughs> still a problem. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you're right. The, the level of hypocrisy that exists in in politics, in international relations, in economics, it's um, yeah, it's not a surprise in many ways. I mean, like we said, we talk about inequality, and I think inequality is also reflected in sort of political assessment and uh, decision making. Um, hypocrisy will continue to exist on these uh, you know along these uh, these lines i mean yesterday i did a, a workshop on uh, propaganda and and clearly you know one of the first questions was to ask people to define good and bad um yet there is no definition of what is good and bad there is a question of what we find as a group to be good Um, and what we see is bad and invariably what is in our interests is good or what is representative of us is good uh, and what goes against those interests is normally bad or evil and yes that seems to be the measure there's no there's no universal acceptance for what could be good no absolutely this is your uh, something that they, we built with our history with our story so actually the 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 human condition does, doesn't make any differentiation between good and bad. And yeah, you know that if you have a kid, a baby that is raised by a wolf, at the end he's going to be a wolf. So mm. yeah, unless he's called Mowgli, in which case uh, <laughs> it's completely different. But anyway, yeah, we can talk about that another time. Um, yeah, Vlad. All right. So we have a kind of challenge before us. So we're going to create. Um, 
Yeah, I keep thinking democracy, but that's not true, is it? Because we're not going to create democracy. What we're going to try to create um, is, so I was thinking about how we could do this. So basically, I've got my island, you've got your island, but mm-hmm. then there should also there should also be a third island, which is like collective, um, which we can take. So one, you know, the best bit from you from your assessment and the best bits from my assessments and the ones that we agree upon, we can put onto this third island, which will then be perfect um, yeah. with regards to the political system that we are hoping to create. Um, now, I yeah, I've gone ahead and sort of drawn up a few items on my list, um, and you've got your list. So, yeah. what, what, how should we do it? Should we just basically go through like uh, like, like like go through our top one? Um, and then work our way down in each episode and you give me your number one and I'll give you mine and then we can argue the um, yeah, why this has to be number one. Does that does that work for you as a yeah, method? Yeah, sounds, sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. I haven't thought of a name for my island yet, but um, I, was, I was thinking of calling it Zach's Island. Is that creative enough? <laughs> absolutely yeah wonderful okay um all right so but you want to go first uh tell me what's your what your number one is my number one the system is based on our own history and culture that would be my number one and should i elaborate a bit more or do you want to to yeah, uh... yeah please just tell me a bit i mean i i I will then tell you mine um, and then we can go into further detail. But I mean, why did you choose that as? um, Yeah, actually elaborate and then I'll be able to put put a better question to you. It's for sure a bit tricky because it's the the, the island. So maybe the island has no history and culture. But let's say let's pretend that the the island (laughs) (laughs) has been already there for some years. And we are it's not only me. We are some people living there. But now we decide like, okay, let's see how we can organize ourselves. And and yeah, I think that uh, if you ignore your own history and your own culture, then you are just too you are pretending to be something you are not and you are going to fail. It's uh, for me, this is a, um, this is a sure in, in the case you would ignore that. So um, I think in terms of history, we should um, take a look into uh, problems that we had in the past, a shift that we have in the past, possible conflicts that we have in the past or even uh, wars that uh, we had in the past and to understand why was that the case and in the case that we don't want to be again in this situation then we have to understand all the things that had a relevant or significant influence on on that moment and the same with our culture are we people that we really want are we very talkative are we really people that want to a talk about everything and to discuss about everything or maybe we are someone we are a society that they we don't care about it we just need uh, two three people that they just decide for us and i guess 
both ways are acceptable, but we have to figure out which is the way that we really need. Because in, in, in the case that they, we are very uh, talkative and participative, but at the end we have a system that is just uh, two, three people deciding everything because that also works in another island and that's why we want to copy that system to us, then we are going to have the impression that they, that we have no rights, that, they, that we are in in a I don't know disadvantage compared to these people making decisions. So in that case, okay, then then let's organize something different. And the other way around would be the same. If the society is expecting from from all the members to be participative and to be a I don't know a, like debating about everything, but we don't have the intention, then at the end we're going to have just a bad informed people that are participating in decision-making processes and are just giving a bad influence to the to the whole process. And that's why I think we that the system should base on our own history and culture. Yeah, what I think is also fascinating is the, the, um, the different approach that we've taken, Vlad. So before we go into sort of the you know, analysis and also reciprocal analysis of, of these themes, so you've taken a developmental system um, and, and I've approached it as creating a system from the start and thereafter moving on. Um, but you're talking about a process where the system will the system will come once certain levels of understanding are attained. So therefore, you know, that's why I'm, I'm kind of suggesting your system is developmental, whereas mine is. Uh, a, a system from the start, as in it is the birth um, of, of what may become considered to be um, a legal territory. Mm, that's uh, why you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, but no, but as in, no, I find that fascinating. I mean, essentially, the natural approach that human civilization has taken is the developmental form. Um, it's just nobody would or no society right now, I think, um, would choose to go back to a situation where they were um, re-experiencing social political development. They nowadays, if you if you establish an area and say, OK, this is our country now, um, one of the first things that would be done would be what I have put for number one is rule of law. Hmm. So, so I would establish um, a sort of a legal system which uh, kind of encompasses the laws or you could say a constitution more or less, um, or at least the start of a constitution, whereas you've gone even further, not, not necessarily back, just taking a different system where you're saying is we have to reassess what we want through what we've learnt over the generations of our societal history. Um, mm. I, I find that brilliant, to be honest. I, I like it. And I like your approach. I also like yours, but I have uh, some questions. It's like, if you start with the rule of law, then you need a law. And then it's the big question, who is creating the law? So he's, who is uh, defining this is good and this is bad, this is allowed, that isn't? Mm. Well, I mean, th this is the... This is the interesting thing because lots of countries which establish uh, a constitution, they they tend to accept into their law what was considered Roman law, um, mm -hmm. and so therefore you 
this uh, in some ways uh, this structure, this legal structure that exists and which is easy for people to adopt. Um, the only stipulation that I have put with my rule of law is that equity overcomes all other considerations in legal disputes. So this has been, this is my sort of number one. So establish a rule of law, whether that's Roman law or some other body of law, doesn't matter. Um, but that equity has to be at the top. And so if if the sense of fairness um, is not represented by an individual law in a certain situation, uh, then fairness should rule, as it were. And equity for everyone, right? Absolutely. So you make absolute no differentiation between a criminal who raped, I don't know, 20 kids and someone who is uh, engaged in, I don't know, working for the community. I mean, it's it's um, not a, it's a, it's a no. real question. I mean, it's a... Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Fair is fair, um, and I, I think society will see that the person who has harmed innocents will receive the punishment that they deserve. So they would. Equity doesn't mean that you're elevating uh, somebody who has a diseased yeah. mind um, to a certain level. What you yeah. are doing is you are judging that person on a fair system, and this and you have to believe in the system. I, I would imagine. But what is important to note here is that, for example, if you have a person who abuses, uh, shall we say, children, who is a drunkard, who has no position in society, and they are punished okay. in a certain way. Um, but on the other hand, you've got like the president's child and the president's child also abuses uh, innocence in the same way that they are both punished to exactly the same extent in exactly yeah. the same way. And that for me would be equity. Okay. Yeah, totally agree. I got it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. All right, cool. Um, okay. But tell me, tell me a bit more about your, so, all right. We, let's say you've, you've got like, I mean, what kind of period of time are we talking about studying the history, the uh, social interaction and the, the different levels of, of of societal progress. Um, how long mm -hmm. would this process take before you start structure? Yeah, for me, this is a never ending process. So I wasn't um, I wasn't saying that we should like a wait for years of analysis and studies. I'm just saying the, the system, even the, the rule of law, the um, everything, the, the um, economical system. So everything within the system should be based on our own history and culture. And this is a never ending process as history has no end, at least not till today. So this is a thing that, that, that we are always reviewing what are we doing and, and the rule of law and, and so on. And, and that's why even if, if you have the system, uh, you are changing the law from time to time. And it's not because we we are just uh, changing our mind. It's just because now we have a, a longer history, let's say, and we have some different culture in a, that, that, that is evolving. So it's a, for me this this is like a, um, this is the main characteristic of the system, but it's not a not a step or a stage. Mm. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, have, I, I repeat, I like it. Um, I, I like the approach, um, especially because it's so different to mine. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's do. Let's do. A, let's if we can get to one in our discussion, and then after that, um, yeah, who knows where we'll go? But yeah, let's let's do let's do. What's your second one? Okay, my second one, or if I may, my second and third one, because they are really uh, yeah, connected. So the second one would be nobody has the obligation to participate. And the third one would be everyone has the right to earn the right to vote. <laughs> okay, the right to earn the right to vote. Okay, number two I get because um, you know, most sort of established principles of democracy will involve the word participation um and and you're saying that you know, people can also choose not to participate and so therefore that's their democratic right um well you're not basing it on a democracy it's their right simple um they don't have to participate if they don't want to but the third one um now obviously we've talked about this a bit in the past so therefore i know kind of what you mean um, but each person has the right to earn the right to vote. So there is a qualification process is what you're saying. Yeah, there should be a process where people need to be educated so people can really understand what are they doing when they are voting that they can really understand how the system is uh, working and the consequence of their decisions. So, um yeah, you know that uh, from from past conversations that the that we had in the past is something. I would say the the easiest way to to explain it is the driving license. It's like everybody can get a driving license, but the thing is, it would be too dangerous to let everybody drive a car without having some lessons before, because there is a system that you have to understand more or less. You have to 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 know the differentiation between a red light and a and a green light. And if you have a yellow light, then you know okay, that's something in between. And if you don't know that, then you're going to have a lot of accidents, right? And a lot of people are are gonna die. And I'm completely sure that the political system is by far by far more complex compared to the um to all the the the, the transport system so mm. for me it would be very dangerous to allow people to have the right to participate without being educated but for sure i would do some differences because i know for the driving license you have to pay and here it should be really a right. So you don't have to pay to get this qualification. That should be something that you can get from school or maybe in school you weren't interested in. Then you can do it uh, later. So you can go to a, to an institution that uh, for sure we can elaborate who, who managed this institution and what kind of content are being um, are part of these um, classes, but you can go there, you can do a, a course, and then you can pass an exam, and then you have the right to vote, mm. right? No. And okay. this is, for me, just to, is something about a quality assurance that the people know. You know, if I know it here from Germany, when we not only used to say we know this compared to the world, Germany, we can say, is a well-educated, at least from when we're talking about schooling, is a well-educated country. And when you ask the, the regular German about the German political system, they have no clue. 
Mm. And that's for me very dangerous. They have no clue how it works. They have no clue how uh, laws are are uh, made. They have no clue who elected um, the Bundespräsident, for example. Mm. Just ask everyone in in uh, all your friends. Hey, hi, uh, how is the election of the of the Bundespräsident? It's actually the 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 most important political actor within the German political system, and they don't know. Mm. So uh, yeah. It's it's that the people really understand that if they decide to participate, this is a right that turns into a responsibility, and it's a huge one. Yeah, I mean the the election of the, um, the federal president is, is is not the most simplistic process. Um, but anyway, I I get your point absolutely. Um, yeah, I I, I well, comments though um, on that. First of all, also on the, the the simile, as it were, the comparison of voting with uh, driving. Um, I, I think here we've also got to apply your principle of looking at history. Um, voting was something that 100 or so, 110 years ago, shall we say, was not allowed for the vast majority of, of the population. Uh, so women were not allowed at all to vote. Um, and for men to be able to vote, they had to be, I think in the UK, you had to be over 30 and perhaps also be a homeowner. Mm. And so so therefore there were extremely limited um, numbers of, of people who could vote. And, and, and there we're talking about clearly a, a system of elitism. Um, and, and this is why now any additional hindrance to voting, any additional barrier to voting um, makes people think about how it was in the old days where you basically had your aristocracy and your upper middle class. Um, and these were the only ones who had any kind of access to you know, political infrastructure. With driving, though, there's a difference because normal people practically were able to to drive right from the beginning. And also in Germany, you know, having a license and having a car is almost as important as liberty itself. Um, and so it, it's because, you know, there is no differentiation. OK, I can be poor, you can be rich, but we can both drive cars. You know, we both have access to the same roads. Um, we may operate at different speeds, but that doesn't really matter, does it, too much? Because in most cases, there are speed limits anyway. Not everywhere, of course, but uh, in, in sort of sort of you know certain urban environments and so on, and, and so therefore the comparison of of um, of this the right the right to vote um, is is a bit more um, how should we say you know, it, it's something which has a certain historical stigma attached to it uh, because it's sort of governed by elitism. Whereas driving cars has more or less always been permitted to people because it was only created 100 or so years ago, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I see what you mean, but um, I don't see it as a problem. So the first thing we are talking about an island, so they don't know about uh, all the thing in the um, in, in the past in the UK and so on. So we are trying to create something very new. So we are not um, <clears throat> dealing with this kind of, uh, yeah. And I said influence from bad experience in the UK. On the other hand, it should be exactly as you described with the driving license. We are starting from the very beginning. So if you are poor, if I'm rich, the other way around, we only have to, to visit this class and then we get the right to vote and we don't even have to pay. 
So we can go together, have a beer afterwards, and then we can vote on the next election. So mm. I don't really see any single problem because it's, it's the, the access is really guaranteed for, for everyone. And you only have to do it if you are interested in. So you are going to have to even to have fun while, while doing it. Mm. And it's for free. It's for everyone. It's for a... For men, for women, for a poor, rich, and 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 so on, right? Mm. And and the things that, if, yeah, um, I I think people should know what they are doing. And for me, um, I would love that every single kid has opportunity if he if she wants to become a doctor. To, to become one, right? I'm talking about medical doctors. And mm. if they want to be a surgeons, okay, yeah, they, they should do it. And I should do everything so they can have access to education and they go to university and they can, can be paid while learning how to um, how to be how to how to do a surgery and so on. A very different thing would be Everybody has the right to to operate. Imagine imagine everyone has the right to to I don't know to 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 make a surgery in your heart. Yeah, that, that, I wouldn't I wouldn't be around long. I think for if that were the case. Yeah, so so it's it's like a, a we need qualifications. Qualifications are good, and and even for the most simple position within a company nowadays, you need some kind of qualification. Even that, I don't know, maybe you just need to have finished school. But that's just one qualification. And we are talking about something without any real impact in the life of others. But when we talk about a political system, when we talk about uh, common decision making processes, then there's a huge responsibility that uh, we can't ignore. And that's why I really want people to be educated before they make a decision. And do you think that there is a certain stress attached to the right to vote? Do you think some people don't actually want to vote? Do you think it presents them with some kind of pressure? <clears throat> I can imagine. Yeah, because actually, if you are in a democracy, then it is like the... I'm not sure, like the, the, the highest right that you can have. Like that's mm. exactly why you can tell everyone you are living in a democracy. So, yeah, I can imagine there's a, a certain pressure there, but the not, rele not, rele not relevant for my island. Yeah, I mean, if I look at like voting, let me look up like vote, because I mean, since over the last few years um, or the last few elections, um, Voting numbers have uh, have really decreased, haven't they, in, in a number of countries? So, I mean, generally speaking, if you get anywhere near sort of like 56, 57, 58 percent of people voting, uh, that's generally considered to be you know, quite high. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whereas, yeah, I think immediately after the Second World War, you know, figures were up to like the high 70s. Um, perhaps even more in some in some cases. So people, even though we talk about democracy and having the democratic right to vote, the exercise of that right is not very popular. Yeah, 
let's say um, <clears throat> true and and that's also okay i don't need to that was exactly my my second point nobody has the obligation to participate mm. yeah yeah that's why i'm looking at that um particular concept and and it's it's like yeah so so then why do we hold this uh this concept of democracy so you know so highly within our esteem or what you know so many people okay it's still a minority but i mean more or less 42 43% of the population who can vote don't want to vote and um you know as an i always say to people go out and vote yeah um and you know clearly there's uh, you know there is this because i've been educated in this way that having a political opinion and a political position is important but you know clearly there are uh, you know, large numbers of the population who even if they have a political opinion they don't care yeah. that they don't kiss the, yeah what do you mean is you know my democratic right you know they maybe they say Psh, you know, how much of what I want actually happens? You know, even when the people I vote for don't do what they say, what's the point? Um, yeah, yeah there's a, it's for sure not easy to explain this situation, but for sure there are two, three points that we can mention and help us to understand what's happening. And I guess the um, one thing is that maybe we are a, overestimating the 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 power of voting the power of politics within our own lives so imagine i don't know um last year okay olaf schultz uh, won the um, the elections and that's why he's the chancellor right now but imagine that wouldn't be the case and the other guy from the cdu uh, would have won do you really think we would have today a different day or next year and a, a different year? It's like the, the things that they, I mean, it's really an open question, but in my opinion, it's not really changing quite a lot. So for some people that doesn't really make a difference and in the same direction, countries like Germany, they are extremely stable. So a bit too boring for me you know between mm, 1982 and 2021 so 40 years almost G the germans had three chancellors so imagine how stable that is yeah. like you had a um yeah um helmut kohl uh, 16 years then then uh, schroeder seven years and then merkel 16 years again so then if, if you try to, okay, understand these things, like 40 years, three people um, deciding the, 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 the direction uh, of the country, steering their politics within the political uh, system, then could be that you say, okay, if I go of, of if I don't, there, that makes no difference. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just a, a um, let's say, an, um, a fact. Mm, no, well, we, we tend in the West, though, we do tend to value political stability. We, we consider uh, political stability stability to be the measure of um, reliability in many ways. You know, the, can can you do business with a, a country where the leadership is constantly changing? Um, 
most investors would probably look at that and say, do you know what? I, I have no idea. How can I invest in a country when next week there could be a completely different leadership? I mean, who do you, do you have to go and make a deal with every single leader again? Um, so, so I think political stability is considered uh, important. Um, That's true, but uh, it also depends in, in a, how extremely... Um, Or how, what kind of stability are we talking about? Because if, if we compared, okay, let's talk about the, the, the UK. It's like, okay, if you have one candidate saying, okay, I want to stay in the EU and the other one saying, no, I want to go out. This is a huge difference. Oh, yeah. You know? but, but here in Germany, we are talking about, uh, okay, if you really want to differentiate between the people, let's say, in the center, like from CDU to the to the Greens, including FDP and, and SPD, they agree in 90% of all the things that they are wanting. And yeah. that's cool. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but but the, 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 the difference, you really, it's very difficult for someone who is not um, like really into the system. It's really different. It, it's really difficult to find some difference there. So mm. for me, it actually doesn't change If Schultz is the chancellor or if the, the guy from the CDU or from the FDP is the chancellor. And in my case, you know, I love politics. That's why we are talking here. That's why we are doing this podcast. So for me, it would be like, well, I'm very happy I can vote. So I'm going to, to vote and I'm going to read all the, 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 the programs and then I will decide. Right. But mm. I can imagine there are other people like uh, they are not interested in because they know, okay, there's not going to be a, a, a huge difference. And and by the way, because I now mentioned something that I think it's also important, the programs from the party. How many people do you really think that they read what political parties are proposing? I have yeah. no clue, but I would <laughs> say not even 5% of people that are voting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, manifestos tend not to be the most interesting documents anyway uh, to be read. But you're right. Um, you know, we, we, I mean, a good example of this is uh, 1987 when Mrs. Thatcher was elected and she had in her manifesto the poll tax. Um, and then when she actually introduced it, the, the people rose up in arms and uh, yeah, she, <laughs> she had to leave um, because she, you know, she so greatly misjudged. Uh, the public mood for what they consider to be, you know, a, a charge on their ability to vote, um, and they were not happy with that. So, and that was in the mandate. So you're right, a lot of, but even, I mean, even politicians of their own parties don't always know what's in their manifestos. So it's, um, yeah, there's definitely a different, um, a different consideration. How much do we actually engage in? Uh, individual leaders policies so i mean olaf scholz for example the spd sort of socialist social democrats in in germany i mean one of his main uh, themes was um you know, raising the the minimum wage yeah. uh, and i mean that was plastered everywhere uh, yeah and maybe that's basically what pushed him up to a situation where he could become chancellor i mean he only he only got what 20 in the mid 20s um or you know 23 24 percent so yeah. we're not talking about somebody who won by landslide um on the other hand the party which is within that sort of selection of center uh parties but which represented real change in my opinion was the greens um 
And yeah, there was so much change being suggested by um, you know, Annalena Baerbock that I think the uh, the conservative structures in Germany really went crazy um, and they showed also a certain level of sexism um, in the way that they approached her in the campaigning. And in the end, one of her main goals, which was to cancel Nord Stream 2, that's happening now. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in itself, that's quite funny because lots of people before and during the campaigning were saying, how can you cancel Nord Stream 2? We've invested so much in this. We need all of this oil and so on. Um, and, and now Nord Stream 2 has been cancelled anyway. OK, I'm digressing. I know I'm moving on to different. We're, oh. we're, we're, we're in the realms of theoretical politics here, not uh, yet yeah, not applicable politics. Um, but yeah, OK, all right, look, I've made a note of this because th these are things which we have to consider. I, I really like the history thing. I'm going to put a tick next to your history thing. Yeah, um, I, I think participation plays a role um, in every kind of uh, sort of democratic definition. And so therefore, um, yeah, I think that that has to go in any way um, with regards to your qualifying to vote. Now, I know for you, this is a really important theme. Yeah. Um, so I reckon this is something that will let's let's stick in, I think, but we should leave it up to the people to decide if they really want to to have a qualification criteria, because I think that takes a lot of defining in itself. Um, and, and I'm not sure, even though you, you you've proven the the logic behind having it, because you would also then reduce the voting age, which is something that I really agree with. I think younger people should be allowed to vote, not just the 18 year olds. Um, and you're saying that, yeah, sure, even a 12 year old or an eight year old can vote as long as they pass this this qualification procedure. So, um, yeah, there are parts of that which I like as well. Um, I'm just not sure if we can sell it to our island dwellers. Um, something to look at. Um, but I'm not going to go into my number two or number three because we've already reached uh, an hour. But just okay. one one extra point, though. Um, I'm not going to have any cars on my island. I don't know what you're planning to do. Um, any cars? No cars on my island. People can ride bikes. Um, there may be some kind of um, light rail system. But I don't know. Um, but I, I'm going to try to make my island as carbon neutral as possible. And that means also no mass excavations, no destruction of trees and natural pathways um, or habitats and ecosystems. Just just so that I can have these huge concrete caterpillars. Um, no, thank you. Wow, so, interesting. So, so it means you want to go back, I don't know, like a, like it was here 300 years ago? Maybe, maybe. maybe. Yeah. But I've seen some pictures um, of how um, different places were, like uh, even just 50, 60 years ago. And the natural beauty that existed in so many places simply to be replaced by you know, hotels um, and shopping centers and so on. I, I, don't, I don't see the need for so, so many of these things. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, a different story. <laughs> mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we'll, we'll come back to it. So we're, we're only at the beginning. So this is like this is our, our this is our analysis. I mean, I'll call this series democracy anyway, uh, purely because I think calling it democracy, p 
pisses you off and, and sometimes that's quite funny <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll call this like yeah. democracy one um and then we'll see where we go yeah how does that strike you yeah is that like a good way to proceed yeah, 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 I really enjoy it. So it's it's fascinating that uh, you know at the end we all, we really want the same thing, and we have to organize a society where everyone who is taking part of it can really live with dignity. So it's very interesting to see how many different approaches we can have, and we are just two. So that's exactly the explanation why it is so difficult. Because then we are not just the, the two of us. Then we are going to have ten, then thousand, then one million, then hundred million, and yeah. Nowadays, we are, I don't know, almost 7 billion around the world. So mm. imagine how difficult it is to organize it. If we would ask everyone to, we would ask everyone to, hey, imagine you can get an island. What would you do? Yeah. And then everybody is like uh, giving their own opinion. And at the end, you have democracy and yeah, everything failed. <laughs> okay. All right. So you love democracy, clearly. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vlad, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. And um, yeah, I, I, I love the fact that you just you, you test every thought that uh, <laughs> you know, I, I consider to be quite normal. Um, but that's cool, because then you make me think as well. And so, um, yeah, brilliant. Thanks a lot. We're going to have to talk. Yeah, we're gonna think. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk again for the next. The next, we've got to plan this now because we have the responsibility of doing a series. And uh, I know you start, you you sort of start your new job soon. So um, we're gonna have to make sure that we can find a way that I can keep you coming back. Yeah, let's let's do this. And yeah, and thank you as well. So it's uh, for sure the pleasure is mine here. Yeah, thank you. I hope it's the pleasure of whoever listens. But uh, yeah, we'll see how that works out. Vlad, <laughs> all the best, my friend. Take care. Yeah, all the best. Thank you very much. Bye. Two and a mic.